up your Bibles to Proverbs. We'll be looking there in just a moment. Proverbs chapter 22 is where we'll start. We are continuing to look at lessons concerning the home this week and and, uh, in the lesson last night and tonight and tomorrow night we're looking at lessons particularly about parenting. And what I'd like to do tonight is just go through the book of Proverbs and notice um, how much it has to say about parenting. We don't we don't always think about it in those terms. There's a few verses we look look at. For instance, in Proverbs 22, uh, there's this passage, bring your children up in the, uh, in the way that they should go. And when they're old, they will not depart from it or train, them, train up a child in the way he should go. And even when he is old, he will not depart from it. And there's some other passages about sparing the rod. And, and so we pull those out and we, we kind of hold those up. And then we end up with like five verses, you know. So, so everything Proverbs has to say, we, we almost boil it down to maybe four or five verses. And then we'll pull in Ephesians chapter 6. And we see from Ephesians chapter 6 that you should bring it up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. And then what do we got? Well, kind of some general thoughts, but, but not a lot of detail. And I think there's a lot more detail in Proverbs <laughs> than that. I, and in fact... I think that the book of Proverbs is more pointed at the topic of parenting than maybe any other topic. One reason I believe that is because it is almost shot through with parents telling their children stuff. It's dad saying, son, listen to me. And it's mother saying, son, daughters, listen to me. And so if nothing else, it is for us to observe and say, what what does the wisest man who ever lived say to his kids? I want to know that. And so that, that kind of helps me reframe Proverbs, not just to take the wisdom, but take the wisdom as, as what parents ought to be saying to their children. So let's think about it in those terms as we go through. So here's some things that I, I'd like to note from the book of Proverbs. We just make an overview observation. I want to start... With this, when it comes to parenting, mothers and fathers need to be on that job together. They need to be on the same page. They need to be active together, uh, and and need to be working together. When we look at Ephesians chapter six, it places the the burden particularly on the father. And I'll come back around to that. I think that's appropriate. Obviously, Paul wrote it. That's appropriate to put the burden on the father, uh, and yet it should not exclude the mother. And as we look through Proverbs, we see, we see the joint effort. So, for instance, Proverbs chapter 1 and verse 8. Hear my son. So there's the parent talking to the child, the father particularly. Hear my son, your father's instructions. And do not forsake your mother's teaching. Over in chapter 6 and in verse 20. Proverbs chapter 6 and verse 20. My son, observe the commandment of your father. Do not forsake the teaching of your mother. That word teaching, some of your translations will translate that law. It's the same word that's often translated law. I don't know about you, but I grew up in a house where um, what my mother said was law. And what my father said was law. And that's what ought to be happening is that mothers and fathers, when they speak, when either one of them speaks, that's the law. It's the law of the home. And that children know that that is the case. 
and that they know that 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 it is one and the same for father or mother to speak to speak in Proverbs chapter 20 and in verse 20 Proverbs chapter 20 and in verse 20 it says there he who curses his father or his mother his lamp will go out in time of darkness now, the idea here is rejection obviously you're, you're cursing that is you're rejecting what they have to say uh, and and if you do that, if you reject the instruction of father and mother, then then your lamp, and that, that is guidance, you know, knowing what to do, knowing what path to take, you lose that. You get lost when you reject what your mother or father said. But notice that it says, who curses his father or his mother. So it's not that you have to curse them both to be lost. One or the other will do. And I get the idea that if you curse one, then you essentially have cursed the other. Like, you couldn't say, no, I, I, don't, I don't have anything to do with what my father told me. Not in, a, in an ideal situation. You couldn't say, I don't have anything to do with what my father told me. Now, my mother, I listen to her. No, in, in this kind of a scenario, he's saying it's one and the same. Don't curse either one of them. And, and cursing one is, is the same result as cursing the other. Our instruction to our children ought to be on the same page such that a rejection of one is a rejection of the other. And if we're not on the same page, then we need to work at that. Sometimes I know that having children sort of exposes differences that we didn't know were there. So you think you're on the same page, then children come along, and dad handles it one way, and mom handles it the other way, and all of a sudden we realize that we've got a difference that we never discussed before. I understand that. Work it out. Get, get on the same page. Don't just like be okay with that and say, well, he handles that this way, but I handle it this way. And I, I think it's not even okay for parents to approach in the way like a mother to say, well, you know how your father feels about that. No, no, no. You know how we feel about that. Like, that's us. It's not him. I'm not going to I'm not gonna make, quote, him the bad guy or her the bad guy. It's we. We think this. I'll tell you what. Children, it is amazing how young they can figure out how to divide and conquer. And if they can see the weakness, if they can see that one believes and, and the other does not, I know I did. I knew who to ask to do this or who to ask to do that. And I can remember those conversations among my parents. Did you tell him that he could do this? Yes, I told him he could do this. I, I knew. And so we have to be careful about that. I still have those conversations now, you know, where I've given permission or Amy's given permission. But we work, we try to make sure that they know that our instruction is coming from the same place. I think this is further illustrated in, in another manner, kind of coming from another angle. Over in Proverbs chapter 10 and in verse 1, it says, The Proverbs of Solomon, A wise son makes a father glad, but a foolish son is a grief to his mother. Now look at that, it's two ways of sort of saying the same thing. A wise son makes his father glad. A foolish son is a grief to his mother. The, the idea is what makes the father glad, doing the opposite, the, the opposite of that, is what brings grief to the mother. So you could, you could work it this way and say what makes the father glad makes the mother glad. What brings the mother grief brings the father grief. So wisdom, that's going to please both mother and father. Foolishness is going to grieve both. I do think there's there's something to note here about the differences between fathers and mothers. Oftentimes, fathers are a little bit more uh, stingy in their 
um, and they're giving their approval to their children. At, at the very least, as children, very often we feel like we've got to win our father's respect. And that's just a general observation. We feel like we've got to, a lot of men especially feel like i got to, I got to win my father's respect. Now, your mother, it's more like you got it if you don't lose it. Right? You, you already have it. Uh, it they, they have phrases like a face only a mother could love. Right? So she, you, you automatically got that if you don't disappoint her, if you don't bring her to grief. And so maybe that's some of the action here or some of the verbiage here that this is what you do to get your father's approval. This is what you do to lose your mother's approval. And so uh, it kind of comes from both sides there. That's reiterated in several places, Proverbs chapter 15 and verse 20. Proverbs chapter 15 and verse 20, a wise son makes his father glad, but a foolish man despises his mother, it's another way of saying he brings her to grief. Chapter 17 and verse 25, a foolish son is a grief to his father and bitterness to her who bore him. Over in chapter 23 and verse 22, chapter 23 and verse 22, it says, listen to your father who begot you and do not despise your mother when she is old. Finally, over in chapter 30 and in verse 17, it says that the eye that mocks a father and scorns a mother, the ravens of the valley will pick it out and the young eagles will eat it. Uh, that idea right there, the eye, the eye that mocks a father and scorns a mother. Um, if you don't know what that is, then you probably don't have children that have reached a certain age. But at a certain age, your children can communicate that they despise you just with their eyes. And a mother can see that when she's not even looking at your eyes. From the back of your head, she can say, don't roll your eyes at me. How did you even see that? Because I'm your mother. But he says, this is serious business here. And the one who rolls their eyes at the parents, uh, there should be that regard and that respect. But again, the point that I'm driving home here is that that should be one and the same for both the father or the mother. And I'll tell you what shouldn't be possible is for a child to come to their father and say, oh, mother, and the dad go, I know. No, they shouldn't be able to do that. And they shouldn't be able to come to the mother and say, oh, dad. And the mother go, yeah, isn't he the worst? No, if they come to one or the other, it ought to be that they find that they are on the same page that they're instructing from the same place. And the same things make both parents proud and the same things would disappoint both parents. All too often you have situations where, let's say you've got a young man who is not keeping himself, maybe sexual purity. Maybe he's not keeping himself just uh, from the standpoint of being responsible and growing into a responsible person. And maybe the dad's a little bit entertained by that. I mean, there's a little bit of chuckle there. Like, oh, you know, when I was young, I, I remember those days. And mom is looking and going, no, do, do not show any approval of this. And she's having to fight to try to bring the dad to be ashamed of what he ought to be ashamed of. Because that's his boy. 
Or or maybe the mom looks on as she watches her daughter grow up and, and, and her daughter um, wears things that attract uh, boys' attention in all the wrong ways. But all the mother sees is the, the cuteness of it. And I, I grew up that way and the dad's going, no, 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 no. You don't see what I see. And they need to be on the same page as that. And it ought to be that when a mother looks and she sees shameful behavior that the father can see it too. And when a, when a father sees shameful behavior that the mother can see that too. And we need to help each other see those things because we don't have the same perspective. We don't come from the same place. But we need to get there. And we need to work to have that unity in our parenting. I think that when children come just as a practical, starting at a very early age, children ought to know that they're going to get the same thing no matter who they come to. From a very early age, when, when one of us would discipline uh, one of our girls, the, the immediate reaction of a child very often is to run to the other one. Our practice was to say, no, you go back over there to the same one that disciplined you. You're not going to get... You're not going to get me to shield you from that discipline. You go back. You you make penitence. You make that right with mom over there who just gave you the whip. And don't come over here. I'm not going to be the one that says, oh, she shouldn't have done that. No. I'm going to support what she just did. And when my kids complain about the rules that their mother makes, I help explain those rules and, and vice versa. I have had my kids say to me at times, I've had one of my daughters say to me very point blank, you always take mom's side. My answer to that is, and I always will. Unless she is doing something opposed to God's word, I'm always on her side. We're in this together. And, And frankly, I'll tell my kids, I love her more than I love you. And I mean that. That she... That's the relationship that starts here. And and you fall beneath that. That doesn't mean I don't love you. She's above all. And so my kids know that there's they're not going to wedge their way in that and get us to fight against each other. So I think Proverbs clearly lays that notion out. I will say this. Over in Proverbs chapter 4, I think it does support what we see Paul saying in Ephesians chapter 6, that the father takes the sort of leading role. He says there, Hear, O sons, the instruction of your father and give attention that you may gain understanding. That phrase is certainly there more frequently than father and mother. And so the, the, the primary responsibility falls on the father, and he should be the leader in that. But that leading should be in conjunction with and getting on the same page with uh, the, the mother as well. Well, another thing that I take from the Proverbs is the confidence or the conviction with which uh, the, the writer approaches his instruction. He is certain as to the value of what he is teaching. It starts by basing his teaching on the wisdom of God. In Proverbs chapter 2 and verse 1, My son, if you will receive my words and treasure my commandments within you, Make your ear attentive to wisdom. Incline your heart to understanding. For if you cry for discernment, lift your voice for understanding. If you seek her as silver and search for her as for hidden treasures, then you will discern the fear of the Lord and discover the knowledge of God. 
For the Lord gives wisdom, and from His mouth come knowledge and understanding. He soars up sound wisdom for the upright. He is a shield to those who walk in integrity, guarding the paths of justice, and He preserves the way of His godly ones. Then you will discern righteousness and justice and equity in every good course, for wisdom will enter your heart and knowledge will be pleasant to your soul. I think there are a lot of people who teach their children sort of folksy wisdom. Right? Just the, the, the general um, like old sayings that we grew up with. And people end up saying things like, well, you know, my daddy always said, or my granddaddy always said, or I heard my daddy say his granddaddy always said. That's not what we're talking about here. He said, I'm going to tell you what God says. And I'll tell you, among God's people, I too often hear, I hear people when we, when we gather together to try to discern what we ought to be doing as a congregation, for instance. Oh, I can't tell you the number of times that I hear people start the foundations of their argument, the wisdom that they bring to the table with, my daddy always said. Now, maybe what your daddy always said is what God has always said. Great. But tell me what God has always said. And, and we want to be careful. And sometimes what that means is, I may have to make a departure from what my granddaddy always said. Now, I love my granddad. I love both my granddads. They were, they were fine men. Godly men. That didn't mean everything they said is the foundation of wisdom. Here is the foundation of wisdom. And so I want to be making sure I convey with confidence. And I want to make sure that I, I point them to here. It's not me. I want, to, I want them to see where the wisdom's coming from. And, and Solomon, the wisest man who ever lived, doesn't say, I'm it. Listen to me. He says, I, I'm telling you this because I'm pointing you here. I'm pointing you to God and what he has to say. He is the foundation of all that I have to say of value. We want to have confidence in that instruction in Chapter 1 and verse 8. Hear, my son, your father's instruction and do not forsake your mother's teaching we read earlier. Indeed, he says, they are a graceful wreath to your head and ornaments about your neck. He believes in the value of this. He believes it's, it's worth what he's, the effort that it takes to convey those things. This is going to be best for you. I think sometimes we very timidly approach some of the things that we know we probably ought to be teaching our children, but we're not sure about them. Maybe we're not sure about them because we didn't, we didn't apply them here. So we're not sure about the value in our own lives. But if it's God's word, then we need to say, look, you won't do better than this. This would be the best thing that you could ever do for your life would be able to take this uh, with all the value that is communicated, for instance, in the book of Proverbs. But it's not just that they relay wisdom in the Proverbs. They help them connect the dots. They help them apply that wisdom to what's going on uh, in the life of a young man or a young lady. In Proverbs chapter 1 and verse 15, it says, My, my son, do not walk in the way with them. Keep your feet from their path, for their feet run to evil. And they hasten to shed blood. Indeed, it is useless to spread the baited net in the sight of a bird. But they lie down and wait for their own blood. They ambush their own lives. So are the ways of everyone who gains by violence. It takes away the life of its possessors. 
And so it's not just like general instruction. He says, hey, you see those guys over there? Let me tell you where they end up. I hear parents say sometimes, well, you know, you can't, you can't choose your kids' friends. To which I reply, that is news to me. My, my parents sure did a lot of choosing of my friends. And when certain friends would come around, they would say, um, who is this? And then they would go check up on them in, in mysterious ways that before Facebook, I don't know how they stalked them, but they would find out things. And then they would say, there'll be no more time with this friend. And I, I would foolishly say something like, you can't pick my friends. No, but I can pick how much time you spend with them. And if you don't spend any time, then soon they won't be your friends. And they made sure to cut off contact there and say, look, pay attention to what's happening here. Pay attention to the trouble that this person gets in. Meanwhile, let me say they were also cultivating other opportunities to build good friendships in other places. And they went out of their way to do that. It wasn't just no, no, no. It was here, yes, yes, yes. But they they connected that. They didn't just leave it in vague terminology. Chapter 13 and verse 20, again, he who walks with wise men will be wise, but the companion of fools will suffer harm. the, The opportunities that my parents made for me to be in the company of wise people uh, are some of the best memories I have. Uh, This past Saturday, I was uh, speaking at the memorial of my grandfather, and some of my favorite moments with my grandfather were times where we had a gospel meeting. Uh, I, I went to church where my grandfather preached, and we would have a gospel meeting, and my parents would take us over to his house afterwards, and Granville Tyler or, or Hiram Hutto or H.E. Phillips, those would be names some of you people would know, would be there and we would just sit at the table and just listen. Ten-year-olds don't know how to sit around a table and listen anymore. But I think here is somebody that says, I want you to see the value of sitting just in the presence, just being around wise people. And from a distance, I want you to see the danger of being around fools and see what happens there. And so they pointed that out to me. They just didn't just lead me to figure that out. They, they made it plain. Over in 28, Proverbs 28 and verse 7, he who keeps the law is a discerning son, but he who is a companion of gluttons humiliates his father. And so, again, the idea of pointing out here is the folly, here is the foolish behavior, here is the path that will lead to dignity and prosperity. I think uh, another thing throughout the Proverbs, we've talked a little bit about this on Sunday in looking at the Song of Solomon, but this father has some very tough conversations with his son. Serious, sober conversations. Proverbs chapter 7 is a good example. My son, he says, keep my words and treasure my commandments within you. Keep my commandments and live. My teaching is the apple of your eye. Bind them on your finger. Write them on the tablet of your heart. And say to wisdom, you are my sister. But he goes on, he says, verse 5, that they may keep you from an adulteress. 
the foreigner who flatters with her words. And then he goes on to describe that adulteress and what she looks like and what the silly fool who follows after her looks like. Now, that's the sort of conversation that we call, like, the talk. You ever heard anybody refer to somebody, you know, parents having, have you had the talk with your kids? Can I suggest to you, you don't need to have the talk with your kids. You just need to talk to your kids a lot. Your conversation needs to be open. It needs to be plain and and uh, at a level of comfort where they feel free to ask about difficult things as they grow. Maybe, maybe they feel more comfortable with one parent than the other. I understand that. But that they could come to their parents and that they could have those and they could find that wisdom. But don't wait. Don't just wait for your kids. You go and you start uncomfortable conversations. Now, I'm going to tell you, if you've never done that, it's going to be real tricky. Now, if you do that from an early age, then it's more comfortable. It's still going to be some awkward. Let me just say, this is always going to be awkward. But it could be easier. But even if you haven't done that, and you're starting out, there are a lot of children that I talk to who wish their parents would sit down and have a conversation in which they listen to the concerns, they want to know what's going on, they want to hear, and then they respond with kindness and wisdom. They want some guidance. They want to know. And again, where, where are they going to find the answers? Google's not what you want them to be going to. You don't want them to go to social media. You don't want them to go to YouTube to figure out what path they should take. And so be willing to sit down and have conversations that are going to turn both your faces red. It's okay. It's okay. It'll be worth it. In Proverbs chapter 14 and in verse 7. Proverbs chapter 14 and verse 7. It says there, Leave the presence of a fool, or you will not discern words of knowledge. And then, in the same chapter, in verse 15, it says, The naive believes everything, but the sensible, sensible man considers his steps. As you read through the, the Proverbs, well, look at over chapter 22 and verse 7. Well, I'll come back to that in just a minute. But as you read through the Proverbs, what you find is he says the same thing in multiple different ways. He repeats himself over and over. One of the things that I think we need to do as parents is not have the notion that I've told them that and so that work's done. I've heard parents, their children will grow up and, I mean, they're somewhere along the way they'll do something that embarrasses the parent. They're frustrated. And they say, now, I've told him, and so he knows better than that. Like, do you remember that one occasion you told him? Is that what you're talking about? You had that conversation with him? Or did all along you communicate? One of the things I think we do harm with the Proverbs. You've probably studied the Proverbs, and I don't think it's, I don't think it's a bad way uh, to study the Proverbs, but it doesn't need to be the only way we do it. We will collect all the verses on a subject, right? We'll just gather them all together. We say, tonight we're going to talk about, kind of like we're doing right now, we'll, we'll talk about parenting from the Proverbs, but we'll talk about money from the Proverbs, right? 
But we'll talk about wisdom from the Proverbs or the fool from the Proverbs. And we'll list all those verses. And sometimes it can get real weird because you'll read a verse and then right next to it, I mean, it's literally the same verse. And then, you know, you're going down through and you feel like you're repeating yourself. And you are. I think what we lose is the value of the notion that it's laid out there so that you come across a, a certain proverb, you read it, and you think about that. But then you go on. And it's a little while before you come back to that same thing. And then you read it again. And you go, wait a minute, now that sounds familiar. And the more you hit it, the more familiar it's supposed to get. It's not supposed to be such that you, you group all of that together. And, 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 you know, we feel like it's so random. It may be a little bit random. But the idea is it's scattered out so that you'll come back to the same ideas over and over and over. And with that repetition, you drive that home. And again, that's part of parenting with conviction is the idea. I've got to say these things over and over and over. I've got to drive them home. In, in, in thinking about that, let me say this. The world is spewing lies twice as fast as we generally are telling the truth. And we have got to say the truth more than the world saying the lies. Um, it's going to be countercultural. And so we're going to have to make sure that they get it. We're going to have to be plain, speak with clarity. I remember, you know, um, I've, I've read through the Proverbs multiple times. I remember the first time I was listening to, to Dave Ramsey talking from the Proverbs and he gets to Proverbs 22 and verse 7. It says, The rich rules over the poor, and the borrower becomes the lender's slave. That had never been emphasized to me in the way that Dave Ramsey will emphasize. And of course, he emphasizes it a lot. I want my children to know how desperate the Proverbs speak about things like that. I don't want to talk about that like sort of going, you know, you just want to be careful. I want to be careful to kind of step. Hey, you don't want to be a slave. That's what the... You see how serious he talks about that? Do we talk about debt like that? Do we talk to our children about money like this guy talks about money? Or maybe because we don't listen to it ourselves, we're sort of like, I just, just maybe, maybe you don't want to get into too much debt. I want to talk about it with the same conviction, with the same confidence, and, and drill these kind of principles home in myself and of course in my children as a result well finally there there does uh, there is an element of discipline in bringing up children that we see present throughout the Proverbs these are some passages that we're familiar with but I want to think about them carefully in Proverbs chapter 22 and verse 15 it says, foolishness is bound up in the heart of a child, and the rod of discipline will remove it far from him. And what I want to suggest about that is that, you know, a child, when they come here, um, they are silly creatures, and they're supposed to be. Right? You'd think it would be pretty um, ridiculous for, say, me talking to. Uh, one-year-old Rylant back there and chastising him for, I don't know, for drooling all over his shirt. Right? That's what a one-year-old baby who's getting teeth does. Now, if he's 13, 
unless he has some kind of medical condition and he's still drooling all over his shirt, we're going to have a conversation. We're going to have a lot of conversations and say, hey, you shouldn't have to change shirts three times a day. It's figuring out what's age appropriate. And at what point, okay, this is behavior that needs to be driven out. You don't want to do that too soon. And I think we could do harm if we think behavior ought to be driven out before really they've gotten to a level where it ought to be driven out. And I see some parents who get so eager for their little children to be like grown little people. You know, they want they really want little adults to be walking around. And so you got a child maybe maybe they're trying to be a big helper and they're they're carrying something and they drop it. And so there's an accident. And then and then you really get after them about that. What have you done? I don't think that you have instructed your child. I don't think you've driven foolishness out from them. In fact, I think you've just taught them not to be helpful lest they get their heads bit off. I'm talking about foolishness, rebelliousness, foolishness in the way that the Proverbs deals with it. And I want to drive that out at age-appropriate moments all along the way. I got a little one-year-old who strips himself naked and comes running through the living room. Maybe I get a little embarrassed. Maybe I say to him, you know better. He does not know better than that. I'll teach him. I got a 10-year-old that does that. Again, bigger problem. Now we're going to have a serious conversation. All along the way, I'm driving that behavior out as he comes closer and closer to being adult so that when he becomes adult, an adult, he doesn't act like a three-year-old. When he's a three-year-old, he's supposed to act like a three-year-old. I want him when he's a 19-year-old to act like a 19-year-old should. And so on and so forth. Proverbs chapter 29 and verse 15. The rod and reproof give wisdom. But a child who gets his own way brings shame to his mother. I cannot emphasize enough that, that children... Do not raise themselves. Or children who do raise themselves almost inevitably and across the board will turn out badly. They are not equipped. You are. I hear parents say things all the time like, you know, the, the, something's going on and say, you know, what happened? Well, he just didn't want to fill in the blank. And I'm like, well, yeah, he's a kid. Like, he just didn't want to bathe tonight. I don't hear parents really usually giving on that one. And eventually they're just going to give the kids a bath whether they want it or not. He just didn't want to brush his teeth. No, they're going to do that. Then I'll hear parents say, he just didn't want to come to church tonight. Okay. Kids don't want to do things that they really need to do. You make them. And so you, you push them and you discipline them and you pull. And, and there's lots of ways to go about that. But you are the one who has a clear picture of where they ought to be headed, not them. You know, a kid, when they're thinking about what it means to be an adult, they're thinking it means you get to eat ice cream and stay up late. And I'll just tell you what, there's a lot of adults that had not quite got past that. But as adults, we ought to be saying, I, I, got, I got a bigger vision for you than that. And I'm going to be the one who's going to guide this ship. Not you. In Proverbs 23 and verse 13, it says, Do not hold back discipline from the child. 
although you strike him with the rod, he will not die. There are a lot of people that try to do some real gymnastics with the, wor- the verbiage of Proverbs and say, well, you know, a rod is actually sort of a gentle tool that a shepherd would use and so forth. And I'm like, I don't know how you fit that with Proverbs 23, 13. Because he says you strike him with something, whatever you want to put in there, you strike him with something and he will not die. And the idea is, obviously, you are going to cause pain. It will not be permanent. And I think that we need to trust God when he says that works. Now, I I could give you all sorts of anecdotal evidence that, that that discipline works. I've seen it over and over. I've lived it on both ends. It does. It is a, it is a, a very effective deterrent. I think we need to be careful about that. We surround that with love and we surround that with the best interest of the child. You ought to never just out of a loss of control strike out at your children. The idea is you're guiding them. You know what you want that product to look like. And so, and so you, 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 uh, you're very careful and thoughtful and focused about that. And you're trying to convince them. You're instructing them. That's a lot of what discipline is. Sometimes we think of discipline only in terms of what is punitive. You did this. This will be the punishment. But I'm thinking in terms of you did this. That is not the behavior I want. And it's not the behavior I want because I don't want it for you. And so to help you remember this, then we're going to go with some corporal punishment. I tried so hard to make sure my children understood that. I remember one time uh, where one of my daughters, I won't tell you which one, but it's not the one that's here tonight. She she got very upset, and, and she'd gotten in trouble, and, and Amy had told her Spanky was coming, and then it got worse, and she acted worse, and so it was one of those, you're going to get three licks, and you're going to get four, and you're going to it's like up to 15 licks by the time I walked in the door. So it's it's gotten really up to here. And so she has just, she has just lost it. And I said, what is it? And she said, I am going to die. You know, if, if I get that many licks, I'm going to die. I said, you won't. Like at, like at the, the, the severity that, that we will give you these licks, it's impossible. You won't die. Said, How do you know? And so I just took the belt and I started slapping my own leg about as hard as I was going to slap her behind. And it stung. And she said, but it's 15 times. And I hit myself 15 times and it stung. But I wanted to show her the truth of this. You're not going to die. And I told her, I said, now this hurts, and this is going to hurt for a little while. But now you're going to hurt with me. And I'm not going to hit you any harder than, than I just hit myself. I'm communicating to her. There's nothing, I, I'm, not, I'm not abusing you. I'm not going to maim you. Because I wouldn't do that to myself. But all the while, I trust this. And I don't care what any pediatrician says. I don't care what any PhD says. When people start talking about, I just don't know about that. That's God you're saying you don't know about. And so, yes, I believe in this. Now, I believe that there can be a great, tremendous abuse to this. 
And I'll say this, if you don't know how to control yourself, absolutely, you don't need to involve yourself with corporal punishment. But let me say, if you don't know how to control yourself, you don't need to have kids. Because it involves a lot of self-control. Well, it requires a great deal of consistency if we're going to be effective in our discipline. In Proverbs chapter 13 and verse 24, Proverbs 13 and verse 24 It says, he who withholds his rod hates his son, but he who loves him disciplines him diligently. A lot of times when people say, you know, I've tried that and it doesn't work. What they mean is I spanked him the other day and then he went back and did it again. Yeah. You know, we have a dog and we're working on training him and there's some things we're very diligent about and some things we're not very diligent about. One thing we're very diligent about is he does not come in the house. Let me tell you how you train a dog not to come in the house. You never let him come in the house. And when you let him come in once, he will try a thousand more times because he will remember the one time you let him come in the house. And children will remember the one time No matter how many times you do this, they'll remember the one time. And also, sometimes it just takes so very long. I can remember such long sessions sometimes. There's battles that you you just realize we have just gone to war. You didn't mean to go to war, but but now you have. I remember we were were instructing one of our daughters one time, and, and it came to a point where we had demanded something, and she just was in a mood that night. She was going to refuse. She wasn't going to do the thing we demanded. And there was a standoff. And it lasted for 30 minutes. And she is in tears. Amy was in tears. She walked away. She couldn't stand it. And I'm like, it, it'll, it'll break. And then finally she broke. And then we didn't have to deal with that issue ever again, incidentally. Because what she figured out is, I'm going to win. That's what my mom told me. She, she said, you know, in parenting, what your children have to know is resistance is futile. I will always win. And I knew that with my mom and dad. There was no point. God's that way. God says, there is no winning here. Surrender is winning with God. That's what I want my kids to know with me. Surrender is when you win. That's really when you get, when you get the best of, of what this world has to offer. In my house, it's, it's by surrendering. And you say, is that, is that a tyrant? No, it's, it's me saying, I know better at least right now, what's best for my kids than my kids do. And so I'm going to consistently demand things, and I'm going to consistently offer discipline uh, along those things, and I'll do it as many times as it takes. My mom loves to tell the story of the night that she... I say she loves to. It's kind of a love-hate thing. She loves to tell the story of the time she spent me 14 times in one night. My dad was out of town. Now, I say if she spoke me as hard as my dad, it wouldn't have taken 14 times. But nevertheless, the 14th time, I did what she asked me to do. And we didn't have that battle again. Again, she said, I will always win. But when you go about it, and I think what a lot of times happens is we, we employ discipline really as an annoyance measure, as a response of annoyance. You're getting on my nerves, therefore, give them a pop. It needs to be much more targeted and focused than that. 
I don't spank my kids because they're getting on my nerves. I spank my kids because I want them to know what right behavior is and what wrong behavior is. Sometimes I get annoyed when they haven't even done anything wrong. And so if that's the barometer, well, then they're going to get a lot of spankings they don't deserve. So I, I want to be consistent. I want to consistently communicate what I want. But most of all, with regards to that, what we've got to keep in mind is that what we're trying to do is save them from a far worse end. In Proverbs chapter 10 and verse 13, it says, On the lips of the discerning wisdom is found, but a rod is for the back of him who lacks understanding. The idea is that you spank your children so that a bigger and badder person doesn't. Because he don't care about them like you do. He doesn't care if it maims or injures them. Over in Proverbs 26, Proverbs 26 and in verse 3, a whip is for the horse, a bridle for the donkey, and a rod for the back of fools. Chapter 23 and verse 14, you shall strike him with a rod and rescue his soul from Sheol. Ultimately, I'm trying to save their soul. That's what I want. You know, you say, well, it's, it's, it's really going to hurt them. I, it will. But they'll get past that hurt. If you don't discipline them, they will endure pain that will not go away. And so, yeah, it's, it's a life or death thing. And that is the seriousness with which we need to approach raising our children. Too many, too many uh, messages from our culture are indicating that really no matter what you do, the kids will turn out fine. Kids are resilient. They'll be all right. They'll figure it out. I see billboards that are saying, you're doing a great job as a parent. I'm like, they'll put that billboard up and I'm like, I, I know how many people drive down this road and they are not all doing great as a parent. In fact, a cursory examination of society around us would suggest a whole lot of them are not doing a great job as a parent. We're so eager to tell people, whatever you do, it's just great, so long as you just love them. First of all, what do you, how, how do, you, do you even know how to love them? But second of all, just look at the results. No. We've abandoned the pattern. We've abandoned this approach to raising children. And then, and then we look at the results and People don't even see that the results are as bad as they are. But I want to suggest to you that, that just as we pointed out last night, it can be done. Like this approach can work. It can be effective. And it can be effective for generations. When, when I stood at my grandfather's memorial, I didn't, I didn't mention this there. I think it was indicated in some of the remarks one of my uncles made. My grandfather grew up in a house where his parents were not strong Christians. They went most of the time, but they just weren't really convicted. His grandmother was, and she, she made, a, made an attachment there with my grandfather. And my grandfather, though he did not grow up with that kind of parenting, he determined that that's the kind of parent he would be. And so he raised five children. 
who all became Christians, four of whom married Christians, and then he had ten grandchildren who all have become Christians, six of whom have married Christians. And now he's got 13 great-grandchildren. Four, five of those are Christians, all the ones who are of age. Not a single person at our Thanksgiving get-togethers and our, our Christmas gatherings has walked away from that instruction. It can be done. But it takes really serious attention. I believe that there are some good parents here. I've seen, uh, I, I know many of you, I've seen your children, and I believe that there are good grandparents here, but I believe that, that we've got to stay diligent, we have to stay active, we have to make adjustments and not just sort of let things turn out how they will. A lot of times I think we grow up thinking that our kids will know things that we automatically know. Have you ever you ever gone through the process of teaching your children something that you didn't know how you learned? We were out throwing a ball one day, and, and you know, I, I, first time I've ever thrown a ball with my girls, and I throw it, and then they throw it back, and, I, and they said, what am I doing wrong? And I said, I don't, I don't know. I, I can't even understand how your arm is moving. You just, you don't do that. I mean, this is, this is how you throw a ball. You don't know how to explain it even. I think sometimes we even think that about moral things. We don't remember learning certain things. We just It just was part of our world. And to some degree, that's fine to, to sort of convey things just as a part of life. But there are going to be some things that maybe maybe the circumstance, circumstances don't present themselves in the same way when you grew up. So you're going to have to focus and you're going to have to make sure that comes across in a, in a pointed and focused way. It, it's going to take thoughtfulness. So, get on the same page, mom and dad. Make sure you're confident about the things that you're teaching. Don't be a timid parent. Be humble. Recognize that you have faults, but God's Word doesn't. And, and make the separation there. I may not be perfect, but this is. And then, have focus with your discipline. I'm trying to take you from here and bring you to here. I know what this looks like. If you have parents who have given you wisdom, then I hope you've received that and I hope you continue. Young people, I hope that you appreciate that wisdom. But most of all, have you received it from the Father above? So as we close out our lesson, if there's someone here who's not a Christian, understand understand this. If, if you look and you say, my parents weren't that, God says he knows he knows that not all parents are like that and when he presents himself as the father one of the things that he does he compares himself to a good father but more than that he is the perfect father and so even as comparisons are made through the scriptures he says if you being evil like if evil fathers know how to do this how much more so God so maybe you haven't experienced having godly parents you could experience that. The love, the unconditional love and acceptance of God and the one who would make you into something better. 
If you didn't have an earthly father who helped you do that, you could have a heavenly father who would help you do that. And if you would respond to that invitation in any way that we could help you, why don't you come forward while we stand and while we sing?